Okay, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. We will start in chapter 9 of Isaiah. And while you're turning there, um, I'm going to turn to the book of Jude. I just kind of want to spring off of this passage in Jude. Um, as we begin our study here, let's pray. And you're hopefully in Isaiah chapter 9. And again, I'll read Jude, but after we pray here. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for the opportunity to meet together as your people. Lord, we are your people. And uh, you are our, our Lord and our Savior. You are our Father. And I uh, thank you for each person that's here, both here in this class and in other classes. Uh, Lord, I pray for your blessing upon each uh, class, each lesson, each student, each, each heart. Lord, would you please uh, guide us as we study your word? Would you please teach us? Uh, would you please give us uh, understanding? And work in our hearts in ways that, that not just uh, that raw information, things that raw information cannot convey, but spiritual truths and realities that we need to hear and we need to be reminded of. And uh, would you bless each person here, Lord, and, and especially the requests that were mentioned, some of which are serious, Lord, especially for Miss Harden. Help Pam, Lord, and give her grace. And, and uh, I pray that you would heal her, her heart. And that her physical heart would be as well and healthy as her spiritual heart. And uh, I do pray that you'd give her a full recovery. I do pray for our Sunday school as well, that you would build it and that you would bless it. You would fill people's hearts with the desire to be, to be here, to study your word, to fellowship together, and to maybe, maybe uh, dive a little deeper. And... Uh, but, Lord, we thank you for the time we have. Lord, as we go into this new study, I pray that you would guide and that you would direct in each lesson and uh, especially in the truths and the, uh, the practical applications that we need from this study. Lord, uh, we just commit it to you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to uh, go into a new study. Of course, we finished the seven sayings of our Lord from the cross. We're going to go into a, a new study uh, starting today, and the study is going to be very, a very broad kind of study, but I'll, we'll try to keep it, keep it a little bit focused on the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. Again, that's a very broad topic, uh, and it includes many, many things. It includes the different ideas about, about the coming of the Lord. It includes uh, things about the millennium. It includes uh, the practical side, not just the theological. It includes the issues about the timing of the Lord's coming and all those things. Maybe we'll cover some of those things. I do not want to spend too much time talking about the millennium. I really want to focus especially on the actual coming of uh, the coming or the appearance or the manifestation of the Lord. All those terms are used um, in the Bible. So this will be our first uh, installment, if you, if you will, kind of an, an introduction on this subject. 
And uh, we will try, if the Lord helps us, we'll try to hit some of the difficult passages. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to promise that we'll, I'll be able to answer every question for sure, but hopefully with the Lord's help, we will, uh, we will have a, a good insight into some of the passages that deal with the coming of the Lord. But does anybody know the first time, the first uh, chronological at least, mention of the coming of the Lord? And by the coming of the Lord, I'm not referring to the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. I'm referring to the glorious uh, advent, you, you could say the advent, or the glorious return of Christ, the first time it's mentioned in, chronologically uh, in the Bible. Does anybody want to take a stab at that as a matter of trivia? Job? Yeah, that's probably there. But there's people, people older than Job that mentioned it. There are. Say again. James, it's because he's it's because he's so smart, and he got that degree, and he's shaking his head because that's correct. I'm going to read it, and if you will stay in the book of Isaiah, Enoch is the first person that we know of to mention what we would call the coming of the Lord. Of course, we know in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen is the first mention of the Savior. But as it relates to what we would call the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Christ is first mentioned in Jude and verse number 14. The Bible says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, talking about the ungodly, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He sounds like a street preacher, right? He, uh, he didn't pull punches. He just, he liked that word ungodly. And, but way back in the seventh generation from Adam, Enoch is preaching about the coming of the Lord. So this is something that's been in the plans for a long, long time. And uh, so we're going to look, what I would like to do this morning as an introduction is I want to walk through the Old Testament. And the reason I want to do it like this is I don't plan on spending a, a great deal of time in the Old Testament because most of the more clear passages about the coming of the Lord are, of course, in the New Testament. But I want to walk through the Old Testament and hit some of the, some of the major prophecies in the Old Testament that deal with the second advent of Christ. And what you're going to find is the first coming of the Lord, that is of the, um, the coming of Christ in Bethlehem being born to, to Mary, that is in his first coming as a, as a human being, that is often mixed with the truths of his second coming. And uh, But what I want to do is as we go through the Old Testament, I want to kind of cram it all. We'll look at a number of passages, and I won't spend a lot of time in any one passage, but what I would like to do by, by going through the passages rather quickly, what we can get is kind of an overview, because you'll start to see, because we're going through it so fast, you'll start to see recurring statements and recurring themes, which, of course, someone that's reading the Old Testament, i.e. a Jew, would have understood had when they were, were reading or hearing the Old Testament being spoken or being, uh, being, being taught. 
Uh, and that's an important, just as a general, uh, a general side note, that's an important uh, principle in your Bible study. Uh, sometimes, especially if you're more of an analytical type of person, which is I am, not everybody is, but uh, a lot of times we get bogged down with minutia and the, 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 the small things and the word, individual words, this word versus that word, and there's value in that. In fact, that is a scriptural way to study the Bible, especially if you read the book of Galatians. That's actually pointed out, even whether it's singular or whether it's plural and contrasting things like that. But sometimes we need to kind of back away and take a look at what the Bible's teaching from 30,000 feet. And that's what we kind of do if you, uh, if you read your Bible. And again, that's, that's where it's so important that we read the Word of God regularly. Because a lot of times when, we read the, when you read the Bible regularly, every day, you read you know, however many chapters or how, how, however much Bible you read every day, but you read it every day consistently and you kind of get that overview look. And as you have time, you can pull aside certain passages and study them in detail or maybe run references or look up some words and that kind of thing. But there's, there's just some, uh, the, Lord, the Lord often uses the kind, of, the kind of steady study and reading of the Scripture to teach us about, about the truth in ways that maybe we can't even put our finger on. What I mean by that is He teaches us things kind of almost subconsciously as we read. We pick, up, we pick up on themes that are there that maybe we don't even re- readily notice, but they're there and our mind picks up on them and it reaffirms the things we already know and it teaches us things along the way that, that, uh, that you can learn in no other way. So that's what I want to do this morning. There is one thing before we read Isaiah chapter 9 to mention, which is the concept, the, the principle of progressive revelation. Does anybody have any idea what I mean by Progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. Any ideas? Any ideas? Going once. Yes, ma'am. Understanding the big picture Progressive revelation is absolutely a principle of the the scripture. In other words, God did not load our wagon full from the beginning. He did not front load our wagon in Genesis and tell us, all right, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen that you need to know right now so that you don't have to want. No, 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 no. He didn't choose to do that. And I think, I, I think he chose to give it to us a bit at a time, a bit at a time, uh, because there's, there's a certain aspect of relying upon him by faith. We're trusting in him about the things we do not know. Did you know that there are things right now about the coming of the Lord that we do not know? Right? Are there? What's the, what's the most obvious? Exactly, when? And, and the good thing is, is the Lord is, the revelation is complete, but the Lord has given us, He's actually told us, I'm not telling you. So we know, just stop asking. And even though He said, stop asking, there's still plenty of people that are still asking. <laughs> but uh, but at one aspect of progressive revelation is that because God gives us just a little bit of information at a time on a given subject, because of that, it leaves a lot of things unknown. And so God wants us to take what we do know. Of course, with us, we're, we're looking at it retrospectively. 
because we have the full revelation. But even with that, uh, let me give an example. Uh, in the scripture, we, we read about the prophets who were given the full revelation about Jesus Christ. In other words, the prophets of the Old Testament were given a full revelation and a prophecy, but then the Bible says that the prophets themselves did not even fully understand the revelation they were given, what God had told them, right? So that means God had given them a lot, but it, it wasn't time for Him to completely uncover its meaning at that moment. And for us, I believe, and I think we can bear it out maybe in the, in the coming weeks, that there are things that are written in the Word of God that we don't get because it's not time for us to get. Because there are people that will live after us. We, you know that? There are people that will, you know, that will come in a, in a different period of time later, tribulation and around the, the, around the second coming of Christ, that they're going to use the same Bible we use, right? And they're, they're, there's things that we don't get that they're going to be like, it was read there the whole time. Just like we said, we look at the things about Christ and His first coming. Well, He was there the whole time. So, progressive revelation. God gives us a little bit at a time. He get, that's how He chose to give His Word. It leaves a lot of unknowns, but what it allows us to do in our day is look back and see that revelation slowly unfold. So that's what I want to do as we go through the Old Testament this morning. Okay, chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. What I want to do is I want to look at the character of the second coming, Christ's second coming, as it's revealed in the Old Testament. Of course, we know the second coming of Christ is primarily a New Testament doctrine because you can't come the first time until you, you can't come the second time until you come the first time. So, but the root of the second coming of Christ, what we call the second coming of Christ, is found in the Old Testament. Of course, about everything we believe is found in the Old Testament in root in a in a kind of a embryonic form. So. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, what I want you to pay attention to in particular is, number one, the nature of this kingdom that is going to be described, but also I want you to look for a figure, okay, a figure, a person, okay? In the Old Testament, there is a recurring figure that God brings up over and over and over in different ways. He calls them different names in different contexts. This figure does different things. This figure has different roles and offices as described in the Old Testament. But you see this recurring figure over and over and over. Now notice we're starting in the book of Isaiah. Somebody tell me, somebody who's really smart, even as smart as James, somebody tell me, the era in which Isaiah lived. What time period did Isaiah live? He was contemporary with what? No guesses? Ari wants to say it. I can tell by the look on his face. Correct. He was actually a prophet during the Hezekiah's reign. Uh, but not just Hezekiah. He was actually a prophet. If you look at the beginning of Isaiah, it's very clearly spelled out. But over several kings of Judah, so this would have been after the, 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 the destruction of the first kingdom and in the, during the time of the single kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Judah. So Isaiah was a prophet, but here's the key thing I want you to remember. 
We're not going to read anything that is chronologically earlier than Isaiah. Okay? So you think, just say Hezekiah's reign because we're familiar with Hezekiah's reign. We're not going to read anything chronologically earlier than that. So everything we're going to read is after that. Okay? David has already died. Solomon has already died. The kingdom of northern kingdom of Israel has already been taken captive. And that's where we are. So at this point in history, of Israel's history, there's only one kingdom of Judah, and there is a king, and he is in the direct line of David at this moment. Okay, Hezekiah? That's where we are in history. Now, we know there's going to be things happen later. There's going to be the eventual destruction of uh, Judah, the captivity for 70 years, and then like Pastor Stewart's teaching through Ezra, there's a, a return from Persia, Babylon, Persia, to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and build the wall in the days of Ezra and Jeremiah, or Ezra and Nehemiah. And then there's, and then at the end of that rebuilding period, there's seven, there's um, 400 years, we call it the silent years, after the book of Malachi, when Malachi was alive, because Malachi was contemporary with the, uh, the exiles returning. So you have 400 years, and then you're at the birth of Christ. Okay, everybody follow me on that? It is essential we understand that if we're going to have any idea of what we're talking about here. We have to know when these writers wrote. That's why all this genealogy and knowing the history of Israel in the Old Testament is directly related to the coming of Christ and our understanding of it. So again, everything we're going to read is from the period of Hezekiah, prophecy of Isaiah, onward. Okay? All right, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse uh, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now let me point out a few things. Again, we'll not, we'll not stay long. We'll keep going, all right? A child is born. There is a birth. Now we know that's not the second advent. That's the first advent, right? But the rest of the two verses has not happened. Right? So what you have is, you, that's what I was saying at the beginning. You have a prophecy when the first advent and the second advent from the Old Testament, again, progressive revelation. God, you say, well, why didn't God just tell him? Well, that's not what he chose to do. He chose to reveal it progressively. Both are true. He was born and he will reign. Right? And from the, from the perspective of a, of, a, of a Jew, a Hebrew in that time, what does he see? He sees a king is going to be born. Look at what it says. And, and to the Jew in, in Hezekiah's day, all of this is future. Right? The, uh, a child will be born. This child will be a king. This child will be Jehovah himself. That's what these verses say. Right? And that's what the Jews understood. The Jews absolutely understood that the Messiah, this figure that I was talking about earlier, the Messiah, would be 
Jehovah himself. Okay? That's, that is clear in the Old Testament. It says it would be Jehovah himself. He talks about his government and peace. So he will have a reign. That is a rule. A government refers to, of course, power. And then it, there would be peace. But notice the line. He was a child born, but he's of the line of David. Because that's mentioned. He says, upon the throne of David. So he will be the rightful heir of David's throne. And that goes all the way back to the Davidic covenant where God promised to David that David would always have a child to reign on the throne of Israel. That's, that's the essence of the Davidic covenant. It says this, And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth even forever. But notice the extent of the kingdom, forever. Again, you see a figure. So the automatic question, if you're a Jew in Hezekiah's day, you, you hear this prophecy, you read this prophecy, you think, who and when? Right? You think, that's awesome. There's going to be a king born, Jehovah himself, and there's going to be this great kingdom. That's what they saw. All right? Let's go to Isaiah chapter number 11. Isaiah 11, verse 1. You're right there. Now, if you would, follow along as I read it, and I'll try to, try to go through and point out a few things as we go. Isaiah chapter 11. You might have not ever, you, you might have been reading these things and you've heard these things. We, we throw around terms, religious terms and such. It's when we talk about different uh, subjects in church and things. But sometimes it's important for us to see those things in the Scripture, in the context in which they are found. All right? Isaiah 11, verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Who is Jesse? David's dad, right? David Paul. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. So this was an offspring of, Dave, of, uh, of Jesse, who is the father of David. So this is an offspring of David. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Again, we're talking about a figure. You see, you see this is the second time, and this will be one of many times. There's a person being mentioned. They're in the line of David. Their identity is not known, but we know it's in the line of David. And the Spirit of the Lord, verse 2, shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod, rod of his mouth. There we go. Smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. This is a reference to what? To judgment. Okay? That was not in the previous passage. That's new information. Now, I read about Enoch earlier, but as far as the Old Testament revelation, this is new information, that this figure is going to come and he's going to judge. This is what the saints of the Old Testament understood about this figure, okay? It says this, verse number 5, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, 
So it's not, it's not the lion and the lamb. That, that, that's what I was referring to when I said we have these sayings that we have. The lion shall lie down with the lamb. No, it's the wolf. And this is where it's found, where it's from. Okay? The wolf also shall, shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Of course, we know this is far different than the world in which we live. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, which is a, like a pit viper. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So again, you see this figure arises. He, he arises to reign. What is the character of his reign? It will be a reign of justice. It will be a reign of righteousness. Now, I'm not getting this information anywhere but from this passage. It will be a reign whereby even nature itself will be different than we currently observe it to be. It will be a reign that will extend to the very ends of the earth. Okay? This is the picture of the Old Testament second coming of Christ, okay? As they would have seen it. And again, it's all in the line of David. Now look at Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23 verse 5. I love reading this, these, part, these parts of Scripture. I really love reading it. Uh, because they're so, they're so clear. Even if they're not clear, they're clear to us. <laughs> Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Now, I want you to look. At, again, I'm going to just remind you. What is the nature of this kingdom? What is the character of the kingdom? And what is the figure like? Right? Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, verse 5, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Do you hear kind of repeating pattern here? Mentions of justice and judgment. You hear the mentions of David over and over. This is a king in David's line. All right? This goes back to what we read in Isaiah 9. This is a person who is born. You can't be in David's line unless you're born. Right? So this is not a magical, a, a magical, the Lord's descending in us in like, you know, like the angels did with Lot or something like that. No, no. This is a birth. This is a king who is born. Notice what it says. Verse 6. In his days, Judah shall be saved. And Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be, ca be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord. Again, just pause there. This is future. Right? Read, read the text. It's future. In what period does Jeremiah live? All right, let me ask you this. Does Jeremiah live before or after 
Isaiah. Who said it? Correct. All right, somebody else. What period does Jeremiah live? This is important. We have to know this. He lives at the very tail end of the kingdom of Judah. In other words, it was to Jeremiah that God gave the prophecy that God told him, give it up. You need to go out to the, to the king of Babylon. This place is destroyed, and I'm not changing my mind, basically. That's, that's Adam's version. It was to Jeremiah that God told him that. Jeremiah told the king, at that, the king of Judah at that time. So Jeremiah is at the tail end of that. The captivity of 70 years has not started. So this king is not talking about a king of Judah that Jeremiah would be familiar with. He knows that this is, destruction is what's immediately ahead. So this is going beyond that. All right? To the reader of the Old Testament, that's what would have been known. Okay? It says this, uh, verse 7, Therefore, behold, the day shall come. So from the period of Jeremiah forward in the future that they shall no more say the Lord liveth that which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. What's the nature of the kingdom? All right, we, we know all these things about these prophecies, but what's the nature of the kingdom? The people of Israel will be regathered. Because remember, Jeremiah is saying, I'm going to scatter you. And then immediately after that, God scatters them. And we know there's a rim. This is why it's important we pay attention in the book of Ezra. Pastor Stewart's going through. That was a remnant. That was not the fulfillment of this. This fulfillment is a, a large regathering. And they come back to Judah. And this is the nature of the kingdom of, of this figure. He has a kingdom whereby Judah is regathered and dwells in their own land safely, safe from their enemy. You can see why when you get to the New Testament, the Jews were expecting something a little bit different than what Christ came to give them, right? What were they expecting? All right, let's look at chapter 33. Just a few pages over. Again, still in the era of Jeremiah, verse 14. Jeremiah 33, verse 14. <clears throat> it says this, Behold, the days come, again future, saith the Lord that I will perform the good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto whom? Unto, unto David. Again repeated. And he shall execute judgment again repeated the nature of the kingdom, one of judgment and righteousness in the land. Verse 16. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, 
David shall never want or lack, that means lack, a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before, before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. This is just a side note. This is, of course, a reference to the kingdom of Christ, the millennial kingdom. But do you notice in the millennial kingdom that is being described here, but this is not the only place, that animal sacrifices are actually present in the millennial kingdom. If you look at the book of Ezekiel, it actually, it actually describes it. Just as a side note. Verse 19, And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If ye can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, that there should not be day and night in their seasons, in their season, then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, thy ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea be measured, so will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. Okay? Verse 23, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Considerest thou not what these people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off? Thus they have despised my people, that they should no more be a nation before them. Thus saith the Lord, If my covenant be not with the day and night, and if I have not appointed, by, appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David my servant so that I will not take uh, any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy on them. Think about what God is saying. Jeremiah and the people of Israel are staring at the most frightful thing you can possibly imagine. It would be the equivalent of the Chinese military surrounding our country ready to absolutely raise it to the ground. I mean, that would be utterly terrifying. You know, you think about what is happening in Jerusalem, and that is what God has told Jeremiah. But even in the very lowest point, God says, and He always does this, right? He tells you at the lowest point, the thing that is the greatest blessing, and he, you know, as a contrast. <laughs> and he says to Jeremiah, I'm not forgetting the seed of David. I am going to put my king of the seed of David on his throne, and that kingdom will, will exist in perpetuity. That's what these verses are saying. That's what these verses are saying. Once again, the line of David is pictured again. The line of David. So, <clears throat> to summarize, and we'll, we'll finish there. To summarize, so far, what does the Old Testament Hebrew that's reading the Old Testament prophets, what does he, what does he see? He sees God promising a figure. That figure is of the line of David who has not yet been born. That figure is future. 
That figure will rise and reign with a rule that extends to the very ends of the earth. And his reign will not have an end. That figure will regather the children of Israel. That figure will have a reign in righteousness and justice and peace. And even it will extend even to the, to, to the very things of nature. That's what we've read so far. Now, to the Old Testament Hebrew, we do not know. We do not know who this person is. We know he's of, of David, but this is what God has revealed up to this point. Now, the subject matter of our Sunday school is the coming of Christ. You notice what we refer to as the coming of Christ as we see it from the New Testament is not exactly the same as what the Old Testament saint would have been reading in the prophecies regarding him, right? They were looking almost exclusively for a king. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. And we're going to see it more in more detail later. But at this point, you can see what is this Hebrew believer, what is he expecting Christ to to come and be like? What is his kingdom supposed to be? What does he think is going to happen? This directs, this relates directly with the coming of Christ. Directly. Because again, the coming of Christ it has its foundation and roots in the Old Testament passages we're reading. But we'll have to pause there until next week. Let's pray.